uh, the school where I teach uh, earlier. And I said to you, I, I was thinking I was. This is more Fox transcripts released as Jack Smith haunts Trump. This is actually three weeks ago, but it's very important. I don't think DeSantis will win Florida. I think the base of MAGA has become such a cult. Here's my here's one of my evidence for it. DeSantis is afraid to even go to CPAC. He's gone every year. He's afraid to go to CPAC because he's afraid he's going to get booed. And could you imagine him on a? He's afraid of Donald Trump. You have to remember, DeSantis is actually a very weak person. He's a very very weak, insecure person. Where's he's very he's very he's very emotional. He's a very, very emotional and erratic person. And that's how he channels all of this. And, and he's not bright. Um, he, you know, he, he has a, he's brighter than Trump. But he boils it down to woke. Because he doesn't know how to say anything. So for him, he just tries to go to, this is woke, that's woke. And his presentation of it is a cleaner version and more palatable to the MAGA Republicans of what their ultimate end ambition is, which is still to destroy democracy. That's why when I say people like Jeb Bush and, and others, like, they, 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 they don't, Jeb Bush doesn't get credit. Jeb Bush is okay with throwing out democracy. He, he supports DeSantis, even before DeSantis has put his hat into it. Look, look at what Jeb Bush said. If we've got that clip here, play this clip of Jeb. Like, it's pretty remarkable. And he hasn't declared yet. Many in the Republican Party hope he soon will. Is this Ron DeSantis' opportunity to run for higher office? I think it is. He's been a really effective All right, I can't watch Let's also speak about it, though, because we didn't set it up. This is not a DeSantis campaign advertisement that you just heard. It might have sounded like one. It probably should be considered one. But it ties in full circle with the Fox files that we read you earlier in this show. Exactly. This is Fox, Republican Propaganda Network, mm -hmm. fake news network. This is Fox producing a campaign ad for Ron DeSantis because they are trying so desperately to get away from Trump. Because you see their internal feelings about Trump throughout all these documents. You know the way they really feel, and they want well, to try to... Well, well they, they, here's the thing, Brett. They don't think he can win. That's all they... If, if they thought Trump could win, they don't, they don't, they're, they're green. They don't care, right? Yeah. They just think that he can't win. And they want to prop up now DeSantis because they think DeSantis is the guy who could get through the evil policies that they want to get through, but in a more palatable way. And it's just... Uh, I, I don't even have words for this next one, but I want to just show you quickly the preview that Fox had for this show. And this is a full show that they did on there. I believe it's an app. It's called Fox Nation. I think you can watch it online, their streaming service. Here is the preview that Fox ran for this special they did about Ron DeSantis. Fox Nation's hit docu-series is back. Who is Ron DeSantis? We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke in the Middle East advising SEAL Team 1 to advise them you have to be the best of the best. He's a good man, he's a good husband, he's a good father. 
Is this Ron DeSantis' opportunity to run for higher office? I think it is. Who is Ron DeSantis? Streaming now, only on Fox Nation. Everyone is talking about this new ice hack that's been on the news lately. It says drinking this ice water can help flush one pound of belly fat every day. My aunt gave it a try seven months hey, ago. Prominently featured in this recently unsealed filing. The filing also exposed Rupert Murdoch using Fox to promote Republican candidates like Lindsey Graham, providing the 2020 Trump campaign with Biden campaign TV ads before they were even released and providing other confidential information that Fox had received about Biden, like deposition prep stuff and things like that. Some real frightening and despicable stuff here. On the topic of frightening and despicable stuff, Donald Trump <laughs> went on his social media platform over the past 48 hours to again threaten and attack special counsel Jack Smith, calmly featured in this recently unsealed filing. The filing also exposed Rupert Murdoch using Fox to promote Republican candidates like Lindsey Graham, providing the 2020 Trump campaign with Biden campaign TV ads before they were even released and providing other confidential information that Fox had received about Biden, like deposition prep stuff and things like that. Some real frightening and despicable stuff here. On the topic of frightening and despicable stuff, Donald Trump went on his social media platform. They suppressed that. that. Um, and that ultimately kind of, like, I wonder if, Rupert Murdoch was ultimately involved in that decision sure. because I, I think he probably was. We see how intimately involved he is. Another explosive filing in Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox, and it was just unsealed. Okay. More. Test was to go. <coughs> Him. Anyway, uh, shout out to KMP Student Radio at the University of Aridstone and KPYT, Plus Priority, Travel Radio, Travel Radio, Travel Radio, on the rest of the Tristar Show, Travel Radio, Travel Radio. Breaking free from anxiety, let's see what's on YouTube. Parallel indictment. Oh, yes. Stream 26 minutes ago. Yes, here we go. Here we go. Legal AF. On today's Jack Smith secures massive win and major topics, Trump indictment legal updates. Legal and political stories ripped from the headlines, but analyzed and explained. What is happening with the Manhattan DA's criminal case and grand jury against Donald Trump for the crimes arising out of the Stormy Daniels hush money payment and is the grand jury meeting this week again to finish? Are there more rebuttal witnesses? And if so, why? And if they indict, when can we expect surrender, arrest, and arraignment? Then we're gonna to turn to, speaking of Trump's latest crimes, what does the DC Circuit Court today upholding the chief judge's Friday ruling that Trump likely committed a crime related to the Mar-a-Lago secret, uh, secret documents that he withheld 
destroying attorney-client privilege around his conversations with Evan Corcoran and compelling Evan Corcoran to turn over his notes and maybe recorded phone conversations he had with Donald Trump. He had recorded phone conversations with Donald Trump. What's that about? And what will Trump do next? Then we're going to talk about Fawny Willis down in Fulton County, Georgia, facing some headwinds, seeking to recall or remove her and a new motion to dismiss filed by Trump's latest attorney team of Little and Finling, or Finling and Little, against the special purpose grand jury and all their work. But she's going full steam ahead with calling Christina Bob late of Mar-a-Lago, who needs another criminal defense lawyer because she's a witness regarding Trump's infamous let's find 11,780 votes phone call and other events around that. And we thought her lying to the Department of Justice about how many classified documents were hiding in Mar-a-Lago was bad enough. And then finally, we're going to talk about, well, criminal cases may put Donald Trump into uh, jeopardy of losing his liberty. What Trump fears the most is how about financial ruin? And we're going to talk about two cases that are going on now um, that have major updates, one of them being the New York Attorney General's $250 million corporate death penalty case that is going to trial in October, and a judge this, just this past week denying efforts to buy another six months of time by Donald Trump's team to help to find witnesses and documents that they couldn't find during the last seven months. And then finally, Judge Kaplan of the federal court in New York threw the lawyers for a loop, but not justice, by telling the lawyers for E. Jean Carroll's civil rape case that they're picking a jury on April the 25th, period. And that's going to be the case of civil rape that she claims happened to her in the department store uh, dressing room and the defamation case related to that. All that and so much more on the midweek edition of Legal AF. I'm Michael Popak. I'm joined by my regular co-anchor, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, who's sitting either in CNN, MSNBC, or somewhere else, but she's exclusive to us at Legal AF tonight. And because we can't go man to man to cover all these breaking stories, we can only go zone. So I asked the co-founder of Legal AF and my weekend anchor buddy, Ben Micellis, to join us for today's ride. Karen and Ben, thanks for being here. Good to be here. Good to be here. Great hanging out with you. I think I like Popak, your intros better than mine because my intros take about 10 minutes and then I actually say everything that happens. I just get so excited talking about and geeking out about the law that I just basically say everything that's going to happen. You kind of give it a tease, though. You say, stay in there. We are going to explain to you. You know where I learned teasing from Ben Micellis over the last two and a half years? No better teaser related to. You got to give. You have to give context. You can't just say that. In terms of the, you have to legal In terms of the headlines that we post on uh, YouTube, so just be yes. very clear. Agreed. Now, while we have Karen, and literally she's about to step into her fifth or sixth major network show tonight as a legal commentator, because who better to commentate about all things Donald Trump and the Manhattan DA's office than the former number two in the office, 
Karen. So let, let me kick it off and I'm going to turn it right over to Karen. Here's what we know from the last show and from all the hot takes that the three of us have been doing um, almost, almost, hour, almost hourly about everything that, that relates to Trump. That's how fast the wheels of justice, the velocity at which they, they are moving. So in the Manhattan DA's case, we all predicted that there was going to be an indictment this week. And I'm not saying there's not going to be. We also, we also said that a grand jury meets on certain days and certain times. It doesn't meet at other days and other times. But I think we just threw that out the window. So we have an update that the grand jury is meeting Thursday, which is they're not a Thursday grand jury, but they're meeting on Thursday, that there may be other witnesses. I want to talk about Cohen versus Costello and maybe bring Ben in for that as well. And then if there is an indictment this week, which again, all signs are pointing to it, but Karen's going to tell us what she thinks. Then, how do you sequence indictment, surrender, and arraignment to you know not have mass chaos in uh, in Manhattan? And, and of course, Karen's going to give us a sequence on that. So, Karen, let's kick it off. What is going on with the announcement that there's going to be a tomorrow Thursday session of this grand jury? What do you think it means in terms of the indictment? And then we'll backfill with Costello versus Cohen as, as witnesses, maybe another witness, and then that sequence of uh, indictment, surrender, and arraignment. Go ahead, Karen. So if you remember, this is a special grand jury that was called because this is a long-term investigation, and that's a, a common thing when you have a long-term investigation to create a special grand jury. And the only difference is they sit for a longer period of time because grand juries, regular grand juries, are normally two weeks or four weeks. And so this, they, they apply to a judge, they get uh, an order that they can sit for whatever it is, six months, eight months, a year, depending how long they think that it will take to present evidence. So this is a special grand jury, unlike the Fonnie Willis Fulton County special grand jury, this grand jury can indict, so they can bring charges. So what happens is with special grand juries is they usually meet mornings or afternoons. This is an afternoon grand jury. We know that because we know uh, when Michael Cohen testified. And they usually meet three days a week. And we've always known they met Monday and Wednesday based on witnesses. What we didn't know until recently was the third day is a Thursday afternoon. So that's that's sort of uh, how the grand jury is set up. So we also knew that they were nearing the end of the grand jury when they, at the grand jury presentation, I should say, when they gave notice to Donald Trump and gave him an opportunity to testify, because that's about the last thing you would do once you've already started presenting evidence. And they, so they gave him notice and he decided not to testify. And instead what he did was he asked uh, to have uh, Robert Costello, Michael Cohen's attorney, uh, come in and testify. And a defendant has a right to ask that a particular witness or particular evidence be presented to a grand jury. And the way it works, a prosecutor goes in, they ask the grand jurors, they say, look, you know, Donald Trump has requested uh, that you hear from um, Mike, um, Robert Costello. Are you interested? Would you like to hear from him? And if and then you step out and you let them they actually vote on that question. And if they vote yes that they want to hear from him, then they, the prosecutor goes back in and says, Okay, we'll have him come testify. So he came and he testified on Monday of this week. And from his own account we we've learned that he testified for about two 
plus hours. I think it was two hours and 50 minutes, roughly. Now, grand jury presentations, it's a lower burden of proof. It's not like a trial where you have to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt. There's also no opening statements. There's no summations. There's no cross-examination. And it's a lower standard, which is a reasonable cause to believe that a crime occurred or a probable cause, which is like, you know, it's, it's more likely than not. And so it's a lower standard of proof. And so as a result, prosecutors, when they put evidence in a grand jury, they normally do what's called a bare bones presentation. They don't do a full blown uh, evidentiary what, um, presentation like they would a trial where they put all the evidence in, all the details in. But in this particular case, it looks like this was a much deeper grand jury where they put lots of facts in. And here, I think they had to because there were some positive facts and there were some negative facts about this case. You know, Michael Cohen comes with some baggage. And so as a result, they had an obligation to bring that out in the grand jury. And they also had an obligation to corroborate him. So this was a very thorough grand jury presentation. But Costello testified for about two hours and 15 minutes, almost three hours. And that's a very long period of time for a witness to testify in the grand jury. So he had an opportunity to say whatever he wanted. I can't imagine that there was anything else he wanted to say that he didn't get to say. And so that happened on Monday. And then there was a lot of speculation, knowing that the grand jury doesn't meet Tuesday. There's nothing going to happen on Tuesday. And so today was the day everybody was waiting for to see what's going to happen. And we heard that uh, the grand jury was asked not to come in today. And they're not meeting, but they were asked to, uh, to be on standby and potentially come back tomorrow. And that just tells us that they weren't ready to do anything today. And, and the question is why? Why didn't they do anything today? And I think uh, if I were to um, surmise what's going on, I think it's two things. I think, number one, they wanted to at least consider putting in a rebuttal witness, someone to rebut what, uh, what Costello said. And my best guess would that be Michael Cohen. They may put him in, they may not put him in, but I'm sure they're considering it. And so that makes sense that that's what they're doing, uh, what they're doing right now. They're considering whether to put him back in to rebut certain information. And so I can imagine seeing him testify tomorrow. Now, the question is, will they vote tomorrow? Now, to, you don't just then walk out and vote. What happens is you then charge them on the law. And then you ask them to vote and deliberations can take time. Sometimes they vote right away, but they actually deliberate. It could take it could take minutes, it can take hours, it could take days for them to deliberate. They they need a majority. There's twenty-three grand jurors and they need a majority. And and so we'll see. Now there's been lots of questions about could Alvin Bragg be changing his mind and not to seek a vote. I, I find that highly dubious. I think he will ask them to vote. And frankly, if the grand jury does not vote and, and the evidence is such that the um, prosecutor couldn't get an indictment here, it's better to know that now. It's better to know now that, that the case has problems. And it's better to know now that you can't, because if you can't, if you can't prove the case, you know, with this lower standard, you certainly can't prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. So the th third reason, though, that I think um, we might not have a vote tomorrow is because if I were the prosecutor, what I would be thinking of, I'd be talking to law enforcement uh, about security because there's a lot of security concerns here, keeping both Donald Trump safe when he surrenders, but also keeping New Yorkers safe. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Donald Trump has been calling for protests and, you know, we saw what happened when he when he um, 
called for protests on January 6th, and, and there's a lot of that kind of language here. And and so, you know, we have to be careful about what we, about about how this goes down, right? So uh, if law enforcement is, is making arrangements right now with the Secret Service, both because of Donald Trump's schedule, but also for security, uh, what would be a good day and time to have him surrender? Also with the court, right? When can the court hear the case? And whenever that date is, I think you work backwards from there and you ask them to vote the last possible time before that date. At least that's what I would do, because I wouldn't want a lot of sunshine between the vote and him coming in, because there is a lot of stuff that he can that he can make happen. You know, he's he's a troublemaker and he will drum up a lot of potential violence. And so if I were law enforcement, that's what I'd be thinking about. And so I would consider holding off voting for a period of time. That, that certainly um, wouldn't be an unreasonable position uh, to be in if, if that's what happens. So let me unpack some of that. Then I want to bring Ben in about Michael Cohen versus Costello and his thoughts on that. So I agree with you completely. There's no way Alvin Bragg has gone this far, and he's not going to try to count to 12, which is the majority of the of the people that make up the grand jury to try to get an indictment. If, if they run into a little bit of headwinds on one witness, and they always knew, they're no fools. Alvin Bragg was built for this job based on his past and having gone after Donald Trump when he was at the New York AG's office, which is part of his career, his body of work. He knew Michael Cohen was there were going to be some issues with Michael Cohen's credibility and they were ready. Mike, you know, Robert Costello is not a surprise to them that, that the grand jury uh, may have asked for that. To clear it up, some people suggested, and Trump tried to jump on this bandwagon, that they demanded that Alvin Bragg bring Robert Costello in as a witness, and that's why Robert Costello came in. It's not why Robert Costello came in. As Karen explained during the grand jury process that this was something to counterbalance it. What did you think about Costello like taking uh, the podium and giving a press conference about what, what he had testified to about immediately upon concluding his testimony? What did you think about that? Are you asking me or are you asking Ben? Yes. No, no, I'm asking you that I want to get to Ben about, about Michael. I mean, look, you know, all the rules are out the door here. You know, if 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 I were the prosecutor in this case, I wouldn't be happy that Michael Cohen is talking in the press and creating statements. But, you know, that's what everyone's doing here. Everybody's is trying to uh, they're, they're trying their case both in the court of public opinion as well as in the actual court. So, I also I also love your sequencing because I don't think you're seeing that at any other program, at least exclusively to Midas Touch, is the no daylight between indictment, surrender, and arraignment. Let's put aside extradition for a minute. I don't think we're gonna, anybody believes now that Donald Trump, who looks like, based on reporting, he's looking to, to, to have handcuffs and do a perp walk in his bizarre, adult way, narcissistic way. He wants to perp walk. Putting that, so let's say that also means he's going to self-surrender and they're going to arrange it as Karen laid out. I love that analysis that Karen gave, which is no daylight quick uh, indictment, right to surrender, right to arraignment, and, and let's try to manage this outcome, shape this outcome that will inevitably happen with Trumpers and protesters and whoever, and, and, and bomb scare people and all of that. Ben, let me bring you in, because um, you've, you've got a daily relationship with Michael Cohen. Um, I don't know what his opinion is about Costello. I've heard it in the press here and there. What, what do you think about what's going on about tomorrow, indictment, Michael Cohen versus Costello, and anything else? that you can think of? 
Well, look, I have no inside information regarding one way or another the answer to what I'm about to uh, say. But look, Cohen was there on Monday after Costello finished his testimony to serve as a rebuttal witness. What we know publicly is that he was at least told on Monday afternoon his testimony was needed. I don't know if Cohen's subsequently been told something different, that he's going to need to go back there uh, on Thursday. But, but let's rewind for a little bit and just remember who Costello is in relation to Cohen. So Costello was a legal advisor to Cohen in the 2018 period. Um, and during the Mueller investigation, when ultimately the FBI raided Michael Cohen's office, you had Costello send this infamous email to Cohen, which is talked about in the Mueller report in volume two. And Costello said, quote, sleep well tonight. You have friends in high places. And then he later told, I think it was the Daily Beast sometime in March of 2018, that he wasn't talking about Donald Trump, but he was referring to a Garth Brooks 1990s song, Friends in Low Places. He later changed that and said, yes, I was referring to Donald Trump. And let's not forget that in volume two of the Mueller report, it says the following about that interaction. In analyzing the president's intent in his action towards Cohen as a potential witness, there is evidence that could support the inference that the president intended to discourage Cohen from cooperating with the government because Cohen's information would shed adverse light on the president's campaign period conduct and statements. So this is who Costello is. Costello is also somebody who's represented Steve Bannon. Costello is inextricably intertwined in Trump world as one of these kind of shady Trump lawyers who are engaged in bad acts. When Cohen had his mea culpa and said, I don't want to deal with this world anymore, it was a rejection of the Costellos of the world. So Cohen definitely does not have anything resembling a positive view about Costello. And I think Costello's credibility, just based on his statement about the Garth Brooks lyrics, tells you all you need to know about who Costello is. That said, when Costello goes in there on Monday um, and has kind of free reign to say whatever, do you want to clean that up? whether it's with Cohen or someone else? Do you want the last witness, if you will, up there to be a Trump person saying all of those things? I think that's ultimately one of the considerations. And look, we thought the fact that they didn't call Cohen on Monday was a sign that Costello's testimony was not impactful. That still may be the case. We don't know what's going to be happening on Thursday. Uh, but I think ultimately when we find out, and again, I don't know at this moment if Cohen's going back. Cohen's been very careful, though, in terms of his public statements, what he said and what he hasn't said. He's only talked about things that were already publicly available. 
available, and he's been very, very, very careful uh, to that extent. So um, ultimately, we'll see, but I want to give you that color in terms of the dynamic to who Costello is and who well, Cohen is. Why I like that, and I want to get Karen's opinion, is it reinforces what Karen said earlier, which is there's no cross-examination. He just goes in and gives his narrative, and do you want to end on a low note if you're the prosecutor? Okay, prosecutor Karen, do you want to end on a low note? What do you think about Ben's theory that one of the reasons they want to bring in a new capstone person to end the process is because they don't want to end on a Costello note? Yeah, I'm sure that's it. And I'm sure he raised some points that if it turns out they weren't true or they were, you can prove that factually, you're going to want to rebut that for sure. Yeah, so this is what we're following. And I see a lot of things, you know, we're, we're watching the chat tonight. We're live, live. And so a lot of people are like, well, Ari Melber said this, and maybe they're not going to indict. I think it's exactly the way that Karen laid it out for us. It could happen tomorrow at the conclusion of whatever witnesses they may or may not take in. It may take them longer because they really do deliberate. It may take them longer to deliberate. There's still that prosecutorial discretion that has to be exercised by Alvin Bragg about whether he's going to go for the indictment. I think that's sort of a fate complete. He's gone this far. We think it's a felony, of course, not a misdemeanor. And then if it comes out, and you and I, the three of us, are all scrambling to get back to our laptops and microphones to give a hot take or a collective uh, new show about the indictment and what happens next, the timing is important. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If I were the prosecutor knowing Manhattan right now on a Friday, which is sort of empty or emptier, I would try to time it so that all these things sort of happen on Friday and then we're maybe using a little bit of the weekend for the surrender and the arraignments on Monday, Tuesday, perfectly sequenced the way Karen laid out. Um, are these Can I say this one thing, Popak? Of course, of course. You know, the, the media narrative, though, let's recall before, was that the Manhattan District Attorney was never going to indict, right? I mean, we would always look in the chat and Ari Melber said this, or this person on MSNBC said, there's absolutely no way Alvin Bragg is going to indict. We've always here on Legal AF, on the Midas Touch Network, have had a very steady hand. We followed the data. We're not just going where, hey, there's a, a advantageous leak from one side. We're following where the data is. You know, we remain kind of calm and confident in what we are predicting. And let's not forget that these media narratives, whether it's the red wave or whether it's Alvin Bragg's never going to do this or this person. Let's also reflect for a moment that the very reason why we have the Midas Touch Network, why we have Legal AF, is because these media narratives have this kind of ping pong back and forth of kind of outrage and salaciousness. You know what I love about the show and the reason I joined it early on and you and I got together for Legal AF to found it? We don't have a narrative. There is no narrative. The narrative is what are the facts today that need to be unpacked and analyzed and presented and curated by the Legal AF team and by the Midas Touch team. That's the narrative. Um, yes, we come from a progressive standpoint, but it's exactly the way that Ben just laid out. Karen, can you stay with us for a little bit? Literally, you're in a green room waiting to go on another network. I, I know. Look at this hair and makeup. I don't normally look like this, you know? <laughs> the, the, uh, the fans on chat are very, very happy that <laughs> with whatever's happened today with you. It's all I fake. Think, it's all I think, fake. <laughs> I think you always look great. And do and you want to do a shout out to uh, some children who are having a birthday today? 
Yes, today is my twin's 26th birthday. So Sophia and Alexandra are 26 today. Ooh, what kind of number is that you're throwing around? Be careful with the 20s. <laughs> How is that even possible? Yeah, um, well. but, but we're glad. But this is. But, this, but seriously, look at the dedication and devotion of the people like Karen to the show and to Justice and what she's doing with us today. So let's spend another couple of minutes talking about something else while we still have the benefit of our former prosecutor colleague in Karen. And let's talk about... Uh, Mar-a-Lago and a recent development. Talk about a high-velocity locomotive of an appeal. It literally went from a ruling related to whether Evan Corcoran was going to testify against Donald Trump effectively, being stripped of his attorney-client privilege for all things Mar-a-Lago and the documents, being stripped naked by the, by the Department of Justice, including having, having his pockets picked of all of his attorney notes, of all of his, um, apparently, this is the way I read it, I want to hear Ben and Karen's perception, whether he was recording phone conversations with his client, and there's transcripts of those, that's what I've read, and that needs to get immediately turned over. Per Beryl Howell, who was on her last day of being a chief judge for the D.C. Circuit Court, don't worry, people, she's not going anywhere, she's just going back to being an everyday trial judge handling cases like Rudy Giuliani's defamation case, so she's still very much in the thick of things, but she, you know, it's a a term of seven years or seven year term is over and Jeff Boesberg is coming in we shouldn't worry about him either she makes the ruling on Friday there's an immediate attempt at an appeal or an appeal by Donald Trump's team over the weekend and the three-judge panel all democratically appointed to Biden appointed no less they decide yeah you want to have an appeal let's put an appeal on but let's do it in hours not months so we'll give the Department of Justice nine hours to file their, uh, I mean, Trump nine hours to file his papers, and we'll give the Department of Justice seven hours to file their papers, and we'll have everything fully briefed literally by 6 a.m. today, this morning, with some briefs that were due at midnight the day before, and then eight hours later, the, the appellate court ruled, and ruled against Donald Trump in favor of the Department of Justice, finding that that the finding by uh, ju uh, Chief Judge Howell that there was a likely, likely crime committed by Donald Trump on a prima facie standard, it related to the Mar-a-Lago documents, and one step further, that he created a criminal scheme dating all the way back to the initial interactions with the National Archives. And he was at the heart of that scheme, destroying all attorney-client privilege between him and people like M. Evan Corcoran, who was his ringleader about Mar-a-Lago and the documents from the National Archives through the subpoena process, through the search warrant execution in August. And Christina Bob being brought along as a sidecar along for the ride and also signing declarations and sworn statements to the Department of Justice that were incorrect. The trial judge said... I don't know if there was a conspiracy with the lawyers, but at the very least, they were unwittingly a part of this of the crime committed likely by Trump. No, no attorney-client privilege. Go into court tomorrow and testify to the grand jury, Mr. Corcoran, and take your documents with you and give them to the Department of Justice. So the three-judge panel comes in, and Ben, why don't you jump in with the result of the three-judge panel 
and then we can get Karen's perspective of why are we going so fast? Is this is this a sign that we're on the five yard line with Mar-a-Lago prosecution with Jack Smith? I don't want to hear it from the prosecutor, but Ben, why don't you tell three everybody judge what, what happened? Three three judge panel immediately <laughs> affirmed Judge Beryl Howell. And just to go over what Popak said, Judge Beryl Howell made the ruling that Donald Trump had committed criminal violations based on the evidence that's presented. Again, it's a lower standard at that point. It's not actually proving, having to prove the case in front of a jury, but Judge Beryl Howell made the finding that a criminal scheme took place. Donald Trump appeals that. It's a rocket docket like I've never seen before, which raises other questions that I, I wonder from Karen, what she suspects is going on here. I mean, I've seen briefing schedules get back to us in 48 hours, even 24 hours. They wanted full briefing by the DOJ and Donald Trump's lawyers basically totally within a span of, of essentially 12 hours and then immediately rejected Donald Trump's arguments, affirmed Judge Beryl Howell. And we're talking about documents that could not just be the smoking gun, but like the smoking, smoking gun. We're talking about potential audio recordings between Evan Corcoran, Trump's lawyer, and Donald Trump about Donald Trump's statements about what he was doing or what he knew wow. about these classified records that were being concealed at Mar-a-Lago. Nice. I mean, this is big, folks, and the timing and the quickness within which this is moving is big. Karen? The only other place I've ever seen this kind of timing is on my other job where I'm the legal advisor for law and order. This is like TV time, right? You know, where you do things so what quickly. What episode? <laughs> it's crazy, right? I've never, ever seen timing like this before. And what that tells me is one of two things is going on. Either either there's some kind of national security issue, right, in happening, but that doesn't seem likely. But that's possible. That's Those are the types of things that... that make things like this happen. Or the other possibility, actually there's two other possibilities. The second possibility is I think judges are getting fed up with Trump's delay, 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 appeal, appeal, appeal. I mean, it's ridiculous at this point. You know, he's, all of these things have taken so long because of his MO of delaying everything. And I, I, I do think judges are losing patience itself. with that and getting a little bit frustrated. But finally, yes, I, I think it really means that Jack Smith is is nearing the end of his uh, of his case, and he's basically pressuring the court, saying, "Our grand jury's here." And you know, look, grand jurors don't sit forever, right? They are called for a period of time, and you can always extend it. Hey, but you know, you need to kind of wrap things up. Hey. And, and Mar-a-Lago documents—that's you know, an obstruction of justice, and, and that whole case—that's a fairly straightforward case. That's not as sweeping and. No. Um, vast as the Jan 6 election interference case, which is much bigger and will have many, many, many more witnesses and more facets and will take a very long time to present. This is a pretty straightforward case. It's not that complicated. And this, I think, shows us that we are very close to hopefully seeing a grand jury vote in that case as well. That's what I think. I think it is we're on the one yard line with Jack. He's given the signal to the judges involved that they want to wrap this up. It's not like New York where you have to or, you know, traditionally give the target the opportunity to come in and drop immunity. They're not going to offer Donald Trump the opportunity to come in and talk to the grand jury. They don't need them. They're not going to use them. And they've exhausted all their other witnesses. I mean, how many lawyers are going to be stripped bare without their 
uh, privilege um, in front of a jury to testify? How much immunity are they going to give people to come in and testify? We've always said, and Ben and I originally said, that the Mar-a-Lago case, before there was a January impaneling of the New York case, which took on a whole other velocity that I've never seen, you have, Karen, from January to March, maybe we'll push to April, but March for indictment. That is law and order episode style stuff. But for Mar-a-Lago in a federal style, we said there's like 30 facts that need to be proven by like 10 witnesses, and it's not that complicated. And so that we thought of all the various grand juries that Jack Smith was handling and inherited from, uh, from Merrick Garland, that would be the quickest one to go. And then we talked about Fawny Willis at one point because she kept saying imminent, that drew us for a loop. We thought imminent meant like imminent. And so we were left with um, everybody kind of catch it up to Al. Who, who would have thought who would have thunk we would have said this? Everybody's catching up behind the slipstream of Alvin Bragg to see who's going to be number two in terms of the prosecutors that are prosecuting. But I think you're and right. Can, can I say this, Popak? Sure. And everyone's catching up, and we knew this all along, what a superstar Karen Friedman Agnifilifu is. And it's so incredible. We're so fortunate to have her as a co-host of Legal AF because, you know, we've been doing this together for a very, very long time two now. Two years. And to see Karen Friedman Agnifilo on all of the media networks sharing her expertise. I mean, she led the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. She's the number two deputy there. So there really is no bigger expert ever than Karen Friedman. And in addition to that, being a great person and a great person. I'm going to tell a great person story for Karen before she has to leave. Because I never told this origin story. So so Ben and I wanted to do another another episode of Legal IF. And we talked about having a different voice than, than, you know, he and I are in private practice more. And we, need, we were looking for a different voice. And so I had a friend of Karen's in mind who ended up getting a big job with the governor. And so I was kicking it around with Karen. <laughs> and Karen said to me, because that person became quickly unavailable, she's now got a big job with New York State. And Karen said, what about me? And I had just met exactly. Karen. I had exactly. just met Karen, but I liked her immediately. We got, I mean, I don't know if you remember the event we met at. I and do. I'm, we and, were and standing on the street. Right. We were at the corner, standing and, on the right. street, and you're in like, In front of you your office ideas? building. And you jumped in. And you jumped in and said, what about me? And I instantly said, what about you? That sounds like a great idea. And I think <laughs> the next week we launched Legal AF Midweek, and that's how it happened. I will say, I, I remember that exactly, and I will say for all the women, the, the young women and women out there, it's all it's all about speaking up for yourself and leaning in, as they say, right? That's and right. That, you, that, that book. And so it, that was my, I, I had just left my job of 30 years. I wasn't sure what I was doing with myself, but I did say, what about me and Topak? The rest is history. Here we all are together. So, and, and thank look you. At you. And look at you. All right, Karen, we don't want to, you're literally going on multiple networks Sorry. tonight. So yeah, I think I'm we're going to I'm going on MSNBC with Alex Wagner next. All right, everybody stay with us. Yeah, yeah. stay with us. That is that. You can watch her on tape repeat. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but Karen, thanks for joining us in, in the middle of everything. We really appreciate you. Bye. See, Bye. see you probably in the, in the next few hours. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And now's a perfect time. While we're kind of switching gears here with Karen leaving uh, to go to her other night job to talk about one of our sponsors, Z-Biotics. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Z-Biotics. You ever skip a workout because of drinks the night before? Well, me too. If you're committed to your healthy routine this year, you need Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. 
it was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. So here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics, it produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work that's like your liver, shit. but in your gut where you need it the most. Just remember to drink. I agree, but you're like eviscerating these people. But one thing I want to, before I, before I let you go right back to your rhythm, is it's not just the report. They are challenging the whole process, all of the witnesses that came. She, they don't want her to be able to use the witness testimony, you know, all the people for conduct, uh, the, the, the special grand jurors engage in improper conduct. Look, here's the thing. Willis and yeah, let's, first. Let, 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 right. let, let's, let's start off with uh, Phony Willis. Right. Donald Trump and his team, they filed a motion to quash uh, the report by the special grand jury and to disqualify Phony Willis and also to essentially disqualify the judge. It's kind of right out of Trump's playbook, right? The judge engaged in improper conduct. The, the district attorney engaged in improper conduct. Uh, the, the, the special grand jurors engage in improper conduct. Look, here's the thing. In terms of what the report is or what the content of it is that's prepared by the special grand jury, guess what? <laughs> it's still sealed. We don't know what's being recommended in there. And so remember, the process in Fulton County, Georgia, that Fawny Willis, the district attorney, availed herself to, was a two-step process. First, it went before a special grand jury. Unlike the grand jury in Manhattan, the special grand jury does not have the power to indict. The special grand jury in Fulton County does not have that power. It just has the power to prepare a report making recommendations. Now that report can be taken to another grand jury. The time frame for one grand jury's meet in Fulton County, uh, it meets in early March. There's another one that meets in May. You can take that report and present it to the Fulton County actual grand jury that has the power to criminally indict, but without even knowing what's in the report, Donald Trump is saying, my rights have been prejudiced. He cites, for example, one of the special grand jurors who spoke to the media, Emily Kors. He cites how Judge Robert McBurney spoke to the media. He's attacking the judge. That's one of the kind of common themes we see with Donald Trump, just attacking the judges, attacking the district attorneys. He also attacks Fawny Willis, says that she engaged in improper conduct, and then also said that the very essence of the special grand jury procedure in general is unconstitutional. And so for all of those reasons, he's saying before an indictment even takes place, we got to quash the report, just destroy it, basically. And there's, you know, there's really and, and, no... And beyond, and beyond that, one other thing, because I saw Finling on Ari Melber. I have a new test. If you can't get over being cross-examined by the talk show hosts like George Stephanopoulos or Ari Melber, you have no place in a courtroom. It's not just... They're both very just, good, though. Mel they are very good. Really I, good. I, like, <laughs> I, I agree, but they're like eviscerating these people. But one thing I want to, before I, before I let you go right back to your rhythm, is it's not just the report. They are challenging the whole process, all of the witnesses that came. He, she, they don't want her to be able to use the witness testimony. You know, all the people they brought in, just she have to do it all over again. 
but of course doesn't it doesn't even reflect she never needed to use a special purpose grand jury she could have gone directly to a regular grand jury but now of course they want to set her back and make her do it all over again while attacking McBurney, the judge that was presiding over the whole thing sorry ben keep going no one of the things we know about uh Fawny willis as well is that she's had success before using uh, RICO or racketeering charges, uh, basically in gang cases where the head of the gang often kind of speaks in code and doesn't really directly issue the order, but can do it just based on kind of a pattern and practice. And everybody kind of knows where they fit in the kind of gang structure, but you're able to basically charge all the way up to the top of the gang through a common pattern, course of conduct and conspiracy. One of the things that we're learning as well from various sources and, and reporting is that she's considering doing a RICO racketeering case here with Donald Trump. And so Trump is absolutely terrified by this case as well for his conduct relating to election interference. We're also learning that there was more than just the one phone call to Brad Raffensperger where he threatened Raffensperger to find him the 11,780 votes. There was also a phone call threatening the late Speaker of the House a Republican Speaker of the House, Ralston, and then even one other phone call to local election officials. So there's actually... To, to an investigator, to, an yeah. investor, to, to try to get her off the trail. So there's actually three recorded phone calls taking, you know, that, with, that have with, been presented. Which is where Christina Bob comes in, because now faced with all these headwinds of... And by the way, you don't think she's going to get recalled or removed because of this, this these laws that are trying to be passed and, by, and, here, by and here's the thing look here's the th i don't uh, this is a frivolous motion um and, and here's the thing donald trump if he wants to bring that type of motion if he believes there was prejudice or prosecutorial misconduct which i absolutely don't think take took place here's what you do you bring it post indictment you get indicted, you file a motion with the judge based on prosecutorial misconduct, based on Brady violations, the concealment of exculpatory evidence is a Brady violation, or intentional, you know, kind of spoliation or destruction of it or hiding it. You bring it at the appropriate time. Like, there are set procedures for when things take place and when you make these challenges. So despite the fact that these challenges are frivolous, even if they're brought at the appropriate time, this very idea of challenging the constitutionality of the very existence of special grand juries, it, it's, it's the improper time. Um, it's going nowhere. But, but, but it's showing that, look, Donald Trump is terrified, and his playbook is just paper the crap out oh, of yeah. things, cause confusion, and then maybe we delay. But let me remind everybody, the thing that they're attacking to move to dismiss is not even a thing that, led, that leads to an indictment. It is a process by which it guides, it guided the prosecutor, who ultimately has to still exercise her own prosecutorial discretion. And that's what's taking everyone's like, why didn't she just run right into the regular grand jury in March, which is there's one in March and there's one in May. We'll talk about that next and just get the effort indictment. It's because it's one thing to make a presentation before a special purpose grand jury. And we've heard about some of the process that went on there. You know, a little bit informal at times. It's another thing, as Karen has described, to go into a regular grand jury, which is an indicting body, 
in which you can, you know, you have to bring in your evidence. Sometimes you have to bring in the recipient witnesses with knowledge, bring them before the grand jury. Maybe you could read some transcripts that come out of the special grand jury process. Maybe you can't. But she's, you know, that was just the beginning. That was just the starter's pistol for, for uh, Fawdy Willis, for her team, to say, okay, now, how do we patch all these facts together that we developed in seven months? Put it with a charging document, ultimately, with actual counts and claims it, under Georgia law and maybe a RICO civil conspiracy thing and pull that all off. What I love about Phony Willis, she's like, she's not deterred by anything. She's not deterred by the, 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 the white members of the legislature going after her in a racist way and all the other uh, black prosecutors around Georgia. Um, she not, she's not concerned about that. This motion to dismiss is, is really just a, a, a press conference masquerading as a motion um, for Finling to be able to get on Ari Melber and start pushing whatever you know, BS they have. And then she's just, Christina Bob, come on down. Let's talk about what you heard when you participated in the infamous 11,780 vote phone call with Brad Raffensperger, because she was on the phone. And while you're at it, why don't you talk to us about the time you were in the West Wing with Mark Meadows in that office where he has that fireplace that burns documents illegally, and he was hosting <laughs> L L Lindsey Graham. And, he, and Lindsey Graham said, uh, and I, you, do, you do a much better Lindsey Graham than me, but I'll try. Lindsey, Gra Lindsey Graham said, can you just show me five dead Georgia voters? Can you just show me five dead Georgia voters or something I can go on television with? Anything? What do you got? And they didn't have anything. That's, there a, good, wasn't. that's a good impression. I'm known for yeah. my, I'm known for my Mike Pence impression. Of, you're very I'm good a, at Mike Pence. I'm a Christian. I'm a conservative. Yeah. But your face also and contorts I'm, into Mike Pence, which and, is. And also, I'm a Republican in that order. <laughs> so if you want to kill me, just tell me you're a Republican, and you could kill me. <laughs> so, all right, that's why people come here. They come for the analysis. They stay for the impersonations. But look. Um, the good news of the, what we're trying to report and analyze is Fawdy Wells is full steam ahead. But imminent, unless people in Atlanta and in the news media aren't following things the way New Yorkers follow things with grand juries, it doesn't look like she is presenting a thing to the March regular grand jury. The next regular grand jury in Georgia, May. In Fulton County, is May. Right. So May is going to be the time it looks like she's going to present her case. So if it's May, she's going to be behind Alvin Bragg, who's going to get it done in the next 10 days. She might even be behind. It doesn't really matter who's behind. This is just like competitive games, gaming that you and I are interested in. It doesn't matter. Justice will be done in the time that it takes at the moment it is right for that particular case. And nothing's going to move. If we've seen anything about these prosecutors is that they are not influenced by each other. They are influenced by where the facts developed in their case leads them. And they will not prosecute a case before it's time or, or seek an indictment before they are ready, regardless of what you, me, you know, our 14,000 people on the chat with us tonight think. It's just going to go at its own pace. And, and, and we're just here to follow it on a, on a daily basis. So that's it for me on Phony Wells. Anything else before we move to the no, civil okay, cases? I, 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 I don't think that Donald Trump should be prosecuted simply because I think he's a horrific person, which he is. He's a, he's a traitor, which he is. He was a horrific president. He should be prosecuted because he's a criminal. And he has spent his entire life engaging in criminal conduct 
to try to destroy our country, period. This is not a normal Republican. It's not a normal Republican issue about taxation or small government. Quite the contrary. The MAGA Republicans want to use government to attack prosecutors, right? We saw that with the House Judiciary Committee run by Jim Jordan, which is just even horrific for me to say that, you know, sending letters to try to interfere with the Manhattan District Attorney's processes, trying to interfere with New York Attorney General Letitia James, which we're about to talk about as well, trying to interfere with all these prosecutions. Yes. So the people who are for states' rights want to use the House of Representatives to try to tamper with criminal investigations by local and state prosecutors. It's all a bunch of BS nonsense by a political party that has become a cult. And what we're seeing now is basically what the last days or what should be the last days potentially of this looks like if we all can just have the fortitude to say enough is enough. I know the Republicans are too weak right now, the MAGA Republicans that is, to stand up to Donald Trump to to call out this behavior but folks this is this is this is the emperor with no clothes this is as bad as it gets he writes posts he puts things in capital letters at the end of the day he's a coward he's a coward and not only he's a coward he's a criminal and you, you gotta confront it he's also losing it I mean if the reporting is correct he's walking around Mar-a-Lago like some scene lost forgotten scene from Citizen Kane we're relishing the day when he's given his his own perp walk and wearing handcuffs. This is from the New York Times. Plus, he's done things he's, that talk about unhinged that he, even he doesn't usually do. Like he's attacking Beryl Howell, the then chief judge of the DC of the DC uh, Court of Appeal, uh, Circuit Court, while she still sits over many cases that um, that mattered to him, like the Rudy Giuliani defamation case related to the election workers in Fulton County. So he is. How do I put this in a legal term? He's losing it, um, which is all par for the course, because we've seen this is the dark side of, of Donald Trump and his narcissism being played out writ large. And speaking of the emperor with no clothes, let's talk about the civil rape case, because the media in its first reporting, the mainstream media, got it wrong. All of the headlines, that's why I jumped in and did a quick uptake. All of the headlines were judge rejects motion to consolidate trials civil rape and defamation case indefinitely postponed. That is bad reporting. There's no other way to put it. it. You have to be able to read, if you're going to do legal analysis, you have to be able to read orders from a judge and understand what they're talking about. And let me explain, and then I'll turn it over to Ben. E. Jean Carroll originally filed a case about defamation because the Adult Survivors Act uh, statute had not yet been passed in New York, allowing her to bring a civil sexual battery and assault case because the statute of limitations, except for the passage of a new law, had already run on such a claim, and it certainly run on any kind of criminal claim related to that allegation. So what she had at the moment that she filed in 2020 was a defamation case, but, oh, but at that moment was tied to a defamatory statement of Donald Trump denying that he knew her, denying that he would, that he raped her, denying that he was in the Bergdorf Goodman department store at that moment, calling it a hoax, saying that she wasn't his type and all those other disgusting things. But he did it while he was president. And so there was a, uh, a battle that broke out, an academic jurisprudential battle, a 
about whether a president within the course was within the course and scope of his employment as president because he's government employee number one um, when he made these defamatory statements at a press conference. To us, it's simple. It, it, that's where you draw the line. Even Joe Tacopina, when he wasn't Donald Trump's lawyers, thought you're not allowed to be the defamer in chief. Quote from Joe Tacopina. You can look it up when you are going after this poor woman who claims that she was raped by you. Now, so there was a whole battle. It went up to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals Federal in New York. It even bounced out to a, uh, not a state court, but a territory court, the District of Columbia's highest court for that territory, that district is an appellate court, because they needed to have a question answered about whether something was inside or outside the scope of, of the president's duties, to which that panel said, why are you, literally, I'm paraphrasing, why are you bringing us into this Second Circuit? We really don't <laughs> want to answer. They did. We really yeah. don't want to answer this question, and they kicked the can down the road. Okay, this would all be interesting if that was the only case. But just this past year, at the November deadline, in fact, they were the first case to file under the Adult Survivors Act, Robbie Kaplan, the lawyer for E. Jean Carroll, E. Jean Carroll filed a new civil rape case on the very moment that they could file it. There was a one-year window that was open for all adult survivors of sexual assault and battery and abuse to come and file their cases. And she filed the first one in New York in front of the same judge, and they always ran parallel to each other. She also added a second defamation claim related to not when Do Donald Trump was president, because that moron said the same types of defamatory things on social media when he wasn't president. And Ben, you were the first one to say, because we were doing, a, we were doing Legal AF at the time, that guy just, just bought himself another defamation claim, because now it has no protection whatsoever. So she filed that second suit. That first suit, for those that are watching on YouTube tonight, I'm putting my hands next to each other, for those two suits ran parallel to each other in front of the same judge, and discovery, which is the uh, obtaining of uh, information between the parties in civil cases, they were running parallel to each other the whole time. The, the issue of whether the first case was going to be barred by a immunity doctrine that gives immunity to government workers for, for, for things they do within the course and scope of their duties, which we call the Westfall immunity, that became really not interesting at all after the new case got filed. And once the judge ruled that the new case wasn't going to be dismissed, it was going to be tried around maybe the same time, but not 